Hey, everybody. Welcome to JCV Art Studio Season 6. My name is Joanna, and I am the author of The Unraveling Dealer's Child, and it's coming. It's up on Amazon for pre-order. Spy Girls, March 16th. It's coming, okay? Uh, but today, today, I don't want to talk about me. I want to talk about this author, Charlotte Morganti. She's with me, and we're going to talk about her debut mystery novel, The End Game. Now, if you check Charlotte's website, you'll see that, like the protagonist in one of her novels, Charlotte is a recovering lawyer. Those are her words. Those aren't mine. Okay. <laughs> in addition to her law degree, she holds a master in fine arts and creative writing. She is an active member of the Canada West chapter of Sisters in Crime, which is a collegial group of writers of mostly crime fiction, and she belongs to Crime Writers of Canada. Charlotte writes fiction mysteries, both dark and light, and the personal essay or review. Her short stories have been published in magazines and anthologies. She is fascinated by the many absurdities of life. Oh gosh, she's a writer. I mean, how many of us go, I wonder what would happen? <laughs> she's addicted to chocolate. Yes. And caramel. Yes. Crime fiction and mysteries sunshine, and white sand, to name a few. She can be found singing along with Willie Nelson, Ian Tyson, ZZ Top, oh yeah, that's the, oh yeah, um, Queen, you're, I'm, uh, I'm such a, I was such a Queen fan as a teenager, and Bob Dylan. Charlotte, it is good to chat with you about the end game. Welcome. Thanks, Joanna. Thanks very much for having me on your podcast. I'm excited. Good, good. So I, I kind of I felt like I was watching from the sidelines on social media. I knew you had your book launch. So please tell me, how was it? You're, you're in person with, I want to say, real people, real, <laughs> real time. How was it? It was a lot of fun, uh, much more fun than I, I thought, you know, when, if, when you see smiling faces looking back at you the the nerves sort of disappear especially if it's people you you know and whose arms you've twisted to come and support you right Aww. so um i held it at the local art gallery which is a, a really nice neat place to host something like that and uh, the crowd was uh, friendly and inquisitive and um, they supported me by buying some of my books. And uh, it was a really good party, you know. Good. Yeah. That's what, God, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what it should be also, right? Because yeah. as yeah. we get into our discussion, um, it's blood, sweat and tears. Writing. That's right. That's right. And <laughs> right. I had I had thought of just having a, a Zoom launch, yeah. which I'll probably do later on. But you know, uh, now that COVID is sort of gone or whatever, um, it's really good to connect with people uh, again, you know, face to face. And so I'm glad I did it. Good. good yeah. Good. So let's talk about the end game. Um, 
when you started writing this novel, uh, did you know it was going to be a series right away? Or were you just like, okay, I'm gonna just I'm gonna I'm gonna write this novel. I have this idea. It um initially I don't well, I guess you always hope that there's a series there, but initially I uh, had one one story idea and I I couldn't really see a progression of more stories. But then as I got into it and started working, you know, on the setting and the quirky characters that live in the little town and their relationships, then I started to see the possibility of more stories featuring the same, the same detective. And, you know, as you probably know, you spend so much time working on getting the setting right and developing the characters and uh, working on the interrelationships between among everybody in in the novel that you've invested all this time and effort. If you can turn it into a series, that work pays off later on because you don't have to go and reinvent everything you have to make perhaps <clears throat> excuse me come up with a new character or two but that's in my view way better than having to start all over from scratch yeah. so i'm glad it can be has become a series good 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 well that's that's even better for the readers too <laughs> um so i kind of have two questions here um, let's first, let's talk about your protagonist, Gabe, and can you tell us about him and what Gabe is walking into in your novel? Sure. I'm always happy to talk about Gabe. <laughs> <laughs> so he, um, Gabe in this novel is the stranger who comes to town, you know, that frame for mysteries, almost like, well, like Jack Reacher, he's always the stranger walking into walking into a new environment. And I like that frame because it gives readers the chance to see the setting and the other characters from someone else's point of view. And, uh, you know, he can react to the other characters in a unique and questioning way. So Gabe is... Um, uh, at the time he comes to the small town of Chequemus, he's um, a part-time bartender, part-time private investigator. He uh, is from Alberta, and uh, like every Albertan I know, believes that horizons are meant to be seen, not meant to be hidden behind a pile of rock in the mountains. So when he comes to Chequemus, which is set in the interior of British Columbia, in amongst a whole bunch of... Uh, mountains, he feels hemmed in and um, pressed down upon by the mountains. So it, so his reaction to the town is less than less than favorable. And there are other things in that town that remind him of events that happened in his life two years before the story starts, and which is another reason that he really doesn't want to be in Chequemus. But he believes a promise is a promise. And um, so he's come to Chequemus because the night before his best friend's wedding several years ago, he, prom he drank a few scotches with his friend Harris, and he promised him that he would be godfather 
for Harris's first child. So it was probably an unfortunate promise to make, but there it is. The baby's arrived. The promise is meant to be fulfilled. And so he gets in his truck and he drives to Chequemus for what he thinks is going to be a two-day duty <laughs> visit. You know, he's going to go in, check into the motel, go to the church, and then get out of town. And of course, that doesn't happen. He ends up sticking around for eight days and trying to bail his younger, his kid brother out of trouble. And his truck. And his truck. Oh, yes. he loves his truck. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he does. He <laughs> names his trucks. Yeah. And uh, this one is three because he's managed to wreck trucks one and two. Oh, so so he and he uses the, you know, the the truck is a conversation partner for him because he yeah. spends some time in his truck and he chats with with three. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Now, I was struck first by the dialogue, um, your dialogue, when Gabe is in the diner. And he's having hot sauce on his eggs. Right. And he counts, you say he, he counts to three and says, damn straight, it ain't no dude ranch. And I think of my characters, okay, my male characters, and they don't talk like that, right? Because they're different. You know, we, we right. all our characters right. are different. So I liked the dialogue because it really comes across as authentic. And I was wondering, do you spend a lot of time developing these characters so they sound a certain way or they just, they talk to, I'm going to say it, they talk to you in your head like that. <laughs> well, yeah, I know it sounds weird to say it, hey, but um, a lot of them do. That's how I hear them in my head. But, you know, um, I spent, when I was setting up the characters and, and, you know, you spend a lot of time, don't you, with them, trying to decide what kind of person they really are. And, you know, in some way, in some cases, a few of the characters in the novel, they are inspired by people I've grown up with or people, you know, I met when I lived in Alberta and so on. And so that, I think, influences how I hear the people, you know, the characters talking. And and I find if I just sit there and say, well, what would Gabe say? You know, and how would he say it? It usually, you know, sometimes it just springs right out and it and it comes. And other times it's only in the editing process that I really figure out what, you know, what he would really say in that situation. Do you hear voices? <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah. mean generally. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to make sure I didn't interrupt you at all with your did, did before I go before I talk about whether I hear voices. Um, what I found with characters is it's it's a crazy process, and I remember I was having a conversation with my best friend and her husband, who's an ex-cop. And he said something with regards to his ex-wife. And it wasn't derogatory. It was sarcastic. Mm -hmm. And as soon as he said it, I thought, 
And I looked at him and I said, can I use that? You know, can I use that? And so he laughed and he goes, yeah, go for it. Right. And so, you know, you know, you, you, you scribble it down quickly. Cause I was going from Victoria. I was driving from Victoria to home and I found just that. I guess I could say real line of dialogue really helped cement this character. And then I found after, um, and thank you, you're one of my ARC readers. Thank you, because your comments were amazing, okay? Oh, thanks. Yeah, and as I was, and you're talking about through the editing process, as I'm going through, like, very near the end, okay, of looking over my manuscript, um, I just read one line, and then this other line of dialogue just, like, zinged like right yeah. in my my head and i thought hey, i gotta use that i've got to use that <laughs> i i i will be kicking myself if i just yeah. don't add these last little three these three words yeah you know? so do you find that yeah i do i do and i i also find things that aren't in the voice of the character you know things that you've you put in and you think it's you know it might be close but when you go through it again and you're editing it, you think, I think, yeah, no, no, she wouldn't, you know, she wouldn't like Rhonda, the owner of the cafe in the novel. You know, there are things that I had in her voice in, in the novel that when I read through it again, you know, after about the 15th edit, I realized this wasn't her at all, yeah. you know, so <sighs> thanks for, thank, you know, thank goodness for edits, right? Yeah. <laughs> And then what I found is I've read that book out loud. I did edits, edits back from my editor, edits back from you, edits back from other ARC readers. Mm -hmm. And then at the final time, I read it out, out loud again. And I remember at one point I thought, geez, Joe, that's a lot of words coming out of this yeah, person's right. mouth, <laughs> right? We got to right. cut this down, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So let's talk about your setting. Um, your setting is incredibly realistic. The The landscape of Chekhamus. Right. Um, I had to double check to make sure it wasn't a real place, <laughs> but there is a Chequemus River, isn't there? there? Yes, there is. But but there's an I hope I, I checked and I couldn't <laughs> find a Chequemus town. So and you know, I wanted a name that sounded like British Columbia. Yeah. And I didn't want to use a real town because you know, you say some, you know, not everything about the town is super duper wonderful and and so on. And I I didn't want, you know, to run into issues with you know, offending somebody who lived in in the town. So yeah. I, you know, I snatched the name Chequemus for this place, and um, I think it has the right ring. Yeah, <laughs> it it does. And it, it's interesting what readers will connect with, because when we were at Whistler, it was in July, it was warm. We then went up on like a, some sort of a trolley to the top of Whistler where they have snow. Mm-hmm. And the snow um, in some areas doesn't melt. So there's actually a little underlayer of pink snow because it's like a fungus, a fungi on it. Mm. And 
it's cold out there. So you could be <laughs> down below in July in your shorts. And there's pictures of us. We're going up the trolley. We get to the top and we're like, it's a little cold, you know, and I remember the German tourists were telling us, oh, you're brave. You're, and I thought, well, we're Canadian. What can I say? Right. <laughs> right. You no, know? but you have that. They experience that, you know, in your story. And so then I also saw an Instagram post of yours where you visited a town that had a population of five. So I was wondering, do you go to all your settings? And think, okay, this is the setting. This is the location I want to put in a book. Like, how do you you work on your settings there? Well, it's more, um, uh, these are great questions because it made me actually sit down and think about what, <laughs> what I do. <laughs> anyway, in, so far, it's more that I set my stories in places I've been, not, um, you know, <sighs> Not that I go out searching, but with the with the um, with the little town, the little hamlet you're talking about, that's a little place in in Alberta called Dorothy, which um, has now dwindled down to you know single digit people. But they, and when I first saw the newspaper article about the town, I thought, oh, this would be cool. You know, maybe Gabe can end up roaring around an almost ghost town at some point. So we were back in Alberta last uh, summer and took a trip out to Dorothy to check it out. You know, it's the coolest place. They've um, restored some of the really old buildings and, you know, the two, the Catholic Church and the United Church, they're right across the road from each other, you know, which means, of course, everybody in town knew who wasn't a church. <laughs> And the old uh, grain elevator is still there. So it was, it's, you know, I've got tons of pictures from it. I don't know if I'll ever use it, but um, yeah, you know, you sort of save, save things up. And um, I, I tend to, I've only written one manuscript where it, it takes place in Vancouver and I found I had trouble with it because I couldn't put the roads where I wanted them. And I, you know, had to actually go look to see if that building was really there. And, you know, if you make up a town, you can, you can just make it what you want it to be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can, if you can have trains, anything. That's right. <laughs> right? That's right. You know, and <laughs> it was like this morning when we were driving early in the morning, I was thinking like, it was dark and we were on the highway and it was early and there was hardly any traffic and I was thinking, man, if you had to land a plane in an emergency, could you land a plane on the highway <laughs> in front of cars? How would that, you know, like it's, it's, so I got to make up a town somehow where I can have a plane land, right? That's right. <laughs> you know? That's right. And have a really long straight stretch on the yeah. highway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so since we're talking about uh, landscapes and settings, before I go any further, I want to give a shout out. Um, and if people wonder why I always start with Iowa, I want to give a shout out to Iowa because I have more listeners in Iowa than I do in Canada. Right? <laughs> like that just blows me away. So Iowa, hello. Um, New Hampshire, Kansas, Oregon, California, 
Virginia, and New York. Thank you for popping up on my podcast map. And now in my own country, uh, BC, Alberta, Ontario. And we're giving a shout out to the United Kingdom, the UK, Mexico, and Kenya. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that's amazing. That's why it's made some of my life decisions really difficult. So, okay. <laughs> right. So, okay. Well, let's keep it with the setting just a little bit more. Um, you've got the cold, the mountains, the, a real sense of a town. You have horses in the story. And oh my gosh, the horses. I'm. I am reading your, I remember I was reading your novel, Charlotte, and I kept thinking, nothing better <laughs> happened to these horses. Do you ever have times when you think you might have too many elements in your story? Because I know I am very guilty of that. And it's my editor kind of hauling me in and saying, Joanna, <laughs> you know, and that's, yeah. that's because I, I don't really plot. So how, how do you find that? Do you have too many elements sometimes? Oh, oh, yeah, always, because, you know, you always want to throw everything in, yeah. right? Like, oh, this would be cool. And I, you know, he can just do this as a sideline and so on. And, and you know, um, you, I tend to want to add more storylines than, than um, makes sense. So I worried about it for this novel. And uh, during editing, I did cut out a lot of the a lot of the elements and um made uh, you know made it less of a war and peace novel <laughs> in terms of length <laughs> but um i don't know what the correct number of elements or i suppose it's storylines i don't know what the correct number is i guess um for me i asked myself are you going to be able to connect these storylines at the end, make them relate to each other so that the reader doesn't get to the end of the book and say, yeah, well, like, why was that there? What does it have to do with the main, the main plot line? Yeah. And that, that sort of, you know, so far, I don't know how people do it with more than two storylines, but uh, you know, I, there are writers who can braid three or, or more that would drive me crazy. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I yeah, I hear, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. So okay, I know this is a very basic question. So do you plot? Yes, I do. Okay. Because the first time, uh, I didn't. I had the story. You know, I knew who did it. There are actually people who write mysteries who don't know who did it, and I, you know, I admire them immensely. I I have to know who did it, and. um that was about it, you know, I as as far as plotting went. And so I found when I started writing, oh gosh, the characters just wandered all over the place. <laughs> and uh taught, you know, and all these other, like all of a sudden I thought, am I writing a romance or am I <laughs> writing a mystery? Like you I, you know, I, I have to follow that sparkling little, you know, ball that, you know, all of a sudden pops up and says, pick me for a storyline. Yeah. So it was just, it was a total mess. And finally, I had to, um, I, I went to a really cool writing intensive called the Breakout Novel Intensive. And Don Moss, the fellow who is responsible for it, said, you know, take every one of your scenes and write a little summary of them on an index card. 
Okay. And then, you know, so I did that and then I spread them out on the floor and moved things around. So the, the story actually made sense. And then there were a whole bunch of scenes that had nothing to do with anything. And as much as it hurt to do it, I, you know, junked them. Yeah. And then what I had to do was go and make an outline from that mess. So I learned the hard way that I I am not a pantser. I just can't do it. I admire people who can, but so I have to, I have to outline, not like word by word, but I definitely have to know what each chapter and scene is about. I have to know where the main character starts coming into the scene and where I need him or her to end up. And how they get there is maybe the pantsing part of it. You know, they can they can fool around a lot, but they better end up where. I need them to be, or, you know, I have to start over. <laughs> yeah, because I've pantsed it, the third book, Spy Girls, and like the first, like the three books, I've I've been a pantser. And Spy Girls, the amount of time, I, I, I don't want this to come across as a complaint, because it's not <laughs> a complaint, but it it was a challenge, more challenging book to write. And I remember after writing it, I thought I need some, I need some goalposts, you know, I need some guidelines mm-hmm. here or, you know, like I, maybe because I've seen too much soccer like lately, but I thought I just, I need a little, some boundaries. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> so I don't go off on this other third plot line, which I ended up ditching. <laughs> right? Right. You know? right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. I want to know. Because your character, Gabe, you know what, you know what, Charlotte, I didn't even ask you, but before we talk about Gabe some more, can you tell our listeners a little summary of what the end game is about? Because we've been hinting at a lot and I just realized, (laughs) I I try sometimes to stay away from the basic questions, but it's like, okay, come on, let's give our listeners an idea of what this book is about. (laughs) Sure. It's, um, well, it's just. I call I believe it's a story of redemption dressed up or framed as a mystery. And uh, so you know the carrot Gabe is he's been through some things in the last few years and by the time he the story starts he's uh, beaten up and beaten down. But um so he goes to this small town to be godfather to his best friend's child. But meanwhile, because the town is in a in the mountains and it was at one time a very big mining center, gold mining, and there's been a resurgence in exploration for gold in the area. There's also an awful lot of environmental activism happening in the town. And there's and the town has changed. It's now there's a lot more uh, recreational uh, businesses, a lot more focus on ecology. People are into trail riding and skiing and backpacking and so on. And so there's um, some tension between the new town and the old town. I mean, so someone is sabotaging the exploration sites at, up in the mountains around Chekmas. And there have been two explosions where the drill rigs and the core shacks and so on have been trashed with, you know, graffiti sprayed, no mining, that kind of thing. 
And it's hit the papers in Alberta. So Gabe knows that there's somebody out in the, you know, mountains sabotaging mine sites. But so he arrives in in Chequemus and within an hour, uh, his buddy Harris phones him and says, we have to go, we have to go out to the mountain because there's been a third expert. Uh, explosion and i have to check it out his buddy is the mayor of the town so it's a little bit interested in what's going on around around his town so gabe goes out there takes you know they they poke around they talk to the police the police tell them to keep their noses out of the you know out of the business out of the investigation and uh, they go back to town gabe still hasn't managed to have breakfast after <laughs> arriving there but anyway so he he sits down to have breakfast in Tiffany's cafe and he gets a phone call from his kid brother who is he's Jack is 17. He is living in Chequemus because his mother uh, exiled him there as far as Jack is concerned, because back home in Alberta, Jack managed to blow up the chem lab by making stink bombs. So she, he was expelled from school. So she sends him to Chequemus where her paramour lives and runs a ranch and so jack is 17 really ticked off that he's been exiled out to uh, some rinky dink little town in the mountains and he's a bit of a troublemaker uh so he phones gabe in a panic and he says the cops are here and they want to talk to me about bombs and at that point, then Gabe decides maybe he's not in Chequemus just for a weekend. Maybe he's got to stick around and bail his kid brother out of trouble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Okay. Right. So you were talking about exploration and the mines. There are scenes where Gabe goes down in a mine. And uh, I, it's I never thought of myself as claustrophobic, but there have there are certain things that trigger me, and it has more to do with being underwater and not feeling the bottom. Okay, that scares mm -hmm. the crap out of me. So that scene where Gabe is in the mine, it's very realistic. It's such a realistic reaction, and I was wondering if. You've ever been down in a mine? <laughs> I've been, um, I've been in mine tunnels, uh, never down a shaft, right? Okay. So at this mine, um, like a lot of mines are cut on, on inclines, so you never go down a shaft. You just walk, you know, like down a ramp, right? Yeah. Lower and lower, and you know, and there's always, uh, there are always exits cut. You know, there'll be an opening, they call it an adit, an opening out onto a field or something, which is uh, an escape venue for workers in, in, the, in the mine. But um, no, I couldn't go down a shaft. I would have the same reaction that Gabe did, right? I would be positively freaked right out. But, um, you know, the tunnels themselves... Uh, I put lights in some of the tunnels uh, in the novel because I needed them. But my husband, who's a geologist, said, you know, well, there's not really lights in there. <laughs> he said they wear them on their on their safety helmets, you know, yeah. right? 
So uh, I guess, you know, that you'd have to, there are some mines where there are some, some lights strung around, but they're large, large operations. But the tunnels themselves are enormous. They're, you know, they cut through the, the rock and they're, they're honestly big enough. You could drive an F-150 through them at the, certainly at the beginning without scratching that truck. And then as, you know, because they have to get equipment in there to do the, you know, to sort of keep moving the rock out. It's not really cut out by hand anymore. Yeah. And so when you're in a, a, a mine tunnel, it's actually quite spacious. You know, if you don't think about the fact that there's, you know, a mountain up above your head, right? And, yeah. and if you if you trust the timbers and so on that are holding, holding the shaft up or the, the tunnel up. <laughs> yeah. a, a lot of trust there that's right that's right, right? Yeah. so the other another part i liked with your book is the the horses their role in the story adds so much flavor to the to the novel and Gabe has this horse, Tornado Callie, and there is this scene with Tornado Callie. I'm not going to give away too much, but Tornado Callie rests her head on Gabe's shoulder. And just knowing what had gone on, I had tears in my eyes when I read that. And I thought, this is a mystery novel. (laughs) And it's just how you did it. And I just thought, okay, I think you may be addicted to chocolate, but I think you love horses because I think horses are so majestic. Are you, are yeah. you love horses? I do. I do. I'm fascinated by them, uh, especially the really big ones like Percherons and, and the Belgians. You know, every year we go to the PE and I head straight for the, you know, the, the uh, stables and so on. And and if I go to the Calgary Stampede, I'm right there, you know, going through all the barns, trying to see the, they're just massive, you know, these horses. But, you know, as much as I am fascinated by them, I can't ride. I tried to when I was in my early teens and, you know, had several uh, less than happy experiences trying to, <laughs> trying to ride horses. Yeah. And so I, I think I'm, partly afraid of them too right because they are so so large and um but i'm fascinated by them so i i um put them in the book and then i had a friend uh who is a horse person read it she told me everything i you know most of the things that i'd got wrong and uh, so then i i revised it until she was somewhat happy with (laughs) what i had said about the horses but the um the bit with Callie when she puts her head on his shoulder, you know, I, I was researching horses and that, and you know, they they their snorts and their whinnies and so on actually, according to the sites I looked at, actually mean something. Yeah. And uh, you know, so it, it, it you know, they can snort and mean, you know, when they sort of shudder out a big breath, it means, you know, things are okay, I'm glad to see you, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I thought, this is just fascinating, right? That so <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it was fun to research it. 
Well, it's, it's, I think it just, it adds another, I, some authors say Easter egg, but I think it adds on just another layer, such a personal touch to the mm-hmm. story. And uh, I love animals. I mean, I've, I've said to people that I can't, okay, this, okay, um, I'm, I'm digressing here, but even an octopus, yeah. I cannot eat an octopus because I've, I've learned how smart they are. Right. right. And it's just even watching our two little dogs, um, the older one, when he was napping, uh, had some heavy breathing, like it wasn't his normal breathing. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's probably because he had his nose buried under the blanket. <laughs> but the little dog who was also sleeping in his bed, got up, walked over to the big dog, sniffed a bit just to make sure like that he was doing okay. And I just thought, man, I love animals, right? But okay. Okay. So another Another jam, actually, that, that's quite the pun. I've got quite the pun there. Another jam is the charoite. Charoite, yeah. Charoite. Can you explain what that is? I, I can. I'm not going to say too much about it because I'm worried about spoilers. But yeah. um, really, it's a, it's not worth very much at all. It's a mineral that is not native to British Columbia. Okay. So if you find it here. It's been imported from somewhere and it's purple and um, which I thought was kind of cool because I, I, you know, I'd asked my husband, tell me, give me a mineral that, you know, you wouldn't expect to find in BC. And that's the one he came up with. Apparently the only deposit is somewhere in Russia. Oh, wow. But, uh, and so I, I thought, well, you know, it's purple. It would attract attention. And so I flung it in there. Good, good, (laughs) good. How are you feeling now that the novel's published? Um, I'll I'll put myself out there, and I, I believe I've said this before. I remember when I the unraveling was published, and my spouse said to me, um, "So how does it feel? How does it feel to have your novel published?" And I just remember thinking, "Oh, everybody knows what a bizarre." imagination I have, right? <laughs> like that was my first thought. Now everyone knows, you know, it, it's a, I was, I felt good too, but how does it feel now that the end game is published? Um, it feels, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Oh no. Now everybody, you know, what if somebody reads it? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, it's, um, it's, energizing it's exhausting it's um i'm relieved i'm also anxious you know in case people hate it and uh but i'm also now uh looking forward to finishing his next adventure so um it's a weird mix of of emotions yeah yeah i agree okay so then you walk in to the local watering hole and Gabe is behind the bar. Right. What drink would you order and what would Gabe say to you? (laughs) Well, I'd order an Irish coffee. Okay. And I would ask him, uh, toss the sugar cube into the glass from 10 feet away. Yeah. And he would say, 
if you've got money in the pool of whether when I'm going to miss that shot, you're going to lose. <laughs> that's, that's the yeah that's the one thing he does when he's behind the bar is fire sugar cubes into irish coffee glasses and he never I, misses and the, i think that that's really cool that's really cool <laughs> yeah yeah okay so charlotte you're gonna let us know what your socials are where people can find you and you kind of hinted at this what's next what what you're working on the next next okay. book what's next Sure. Um, next is a uh, book two in the Gabe series, which the working title is called Prim's Folly. And um, it involves a series of deaths in Chequemus, as well as it's got a bit of a historical mystery uh, wrapped in it. So Gabe and his landlady, Greta, uh, who is the coolest woman of a certain age going, as far as I'm concerned, they take a road trip um, to try to discover the truth behind her father's death. So while they're doing that, then there's also a series of deaths happening in Chequemus, and eventually they all tie up, I hope. (laughs) And the other thing I'm working on, this is a complete difference from uh, the style of Endgame, but um, I write a series of cozy short stories that that are humorous. They're also set in a small town, and uh, the protagonist is a woman in her 60s, and she's got, you know, a few wild and crazy friends. So in the novella, which is called Prudence, these three women put themselves into a retrofitted uh, Volkswagen van and chase a stolen object uh, across British Columbia. It's more of a romp than, it, you know, there's the, the persimmon mysteries. They're, they're not very serious in tone at all. So that's what I'm working on. And uh, as far as socials are concerned, I no longer have a Twitter account, but I am on Instagram and I think it's uh, Charlotte Morganti author, and uh, I'm on Facebook. And I think that one might be author Charlotte Morganti, <laughs> or the other way around. Okay. <laughs> and your website? And my website is charlottemorganti.com. Perfect. I will have and I'm sure people can find those socials on your website. Hey? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Well, then I will get that website in our show notes. Oh, great. Charlotte, this has been fun. Thank this you. This has been we- great. Hey. This and has con- been great. Congratulations. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me on your podcast. Excellent. I'm honored. <laughs>